she's really special to me. I want to just tell you a little something about mine and her relationship. Um, uh, we were we brought we were brought together by a mutual acquaintance, and um, and I was so thankful for that because um, through um, our conversations and our and our and our meetings and things, her and I became very good friends. And she spoke word into my life. She spoke life into me, and I'm so thankful for her. And you know, I have a little. Um, you know, uh, she's been a she's been in her church for a long time. She's been she's been a part of Templo de la Cruz for 26 years, and and that says something for somebody, right? And um, and uh, she's been married to the love of her life for 12 years, and she has three beautiful children. And um, and after service, if you want to go talk to her, please do, because she likes to do a lot of uh, hospitality at her house. So <laughs> definitely go and um, get to know Pastor Sherry. I like it's my privilege and my honor to introduce Pastor Sherry Martinez. God bless everybody. You may be seated. What an honor to be here. Thank you, Sister Chella and Pastor Esteban, wherever you are. Thank you. Okay. I feel like I sound like a chipmunk, do I? <laughs> Amen. So I just want to thank God for this opportunity. I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here. Sister Erica, what a beautiful sermonette that you gave. Um, God used you mightily. Amen. I wanted to take a moment. I know they already did, but I wanted to honor the team of tonight. I got the privilege of sitting in on their planning meeting, and I got to hear each and every one of their hearts. And, you know, the flowers, the decorations, and all of that, it was because those were my favorite colors. Those are my favorite flowers. I really felt so spoiled by these women including we're wearing matching colors. Ladies, I bought the dress to go with the occasion. Um, from, from the table runners to the plates to the tablecloths to the flowers, top to bottom, front to back, food, everything was planned, especially for this night. And I felt so honored because they wanted my input. It was such a blessing. I also wanted to share a little bit about my past before I get into the word. I don't know if any of you know, but I kind of have a past with Victory Outreach in that when I was 12 and I was hanging out on Manon Avenue, Nina, a sister from this church, she came evangelizing. And I was at a place where I, I knew that I loved God, but I didn't know that I needed him. And I was hanging out with a group of girls, and she was walking alone, and she so boldly came up to tell us, how Jesus loved us. I needed that seed at that moment. The seed was planted. And then at the age of 13, I don't know if you remember the Duke of Earl. It was on PBS. I had no idea it was a victory outreach um, television show or play. I just knew that there were a, a lot of really good-looking guys in it. I'm just going to be real. I was flipping through the stations, and I seen some really good-looking guys. And so we stayed. 
We stayed on that channel from top to the end, beginning to the end. The seed was planted. I needed that seed. Then at the age of 15, I was hanging out at Kennedy Park with some friends, and here comes old faithful Nina, evangelizing alone, sowing the seed. And she walked straight up to us and she said, sisters, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to do something with you. The seeds were continually planted. And they continually took root. And then, I don't know if even my church family knows this, but my husband was saved in Victory Outreach. His best friend um, was a, uh, and, and their family was a part of this church, Victory Outreach, Hayward. And so my husband received Christ here. Also, my cousin, he just finished 16 months at Victory Outreach Fremont. So what I wanted to say, sisters, is that we're family. We're family. The seed that Victory Outreach sown into the ground, the seed that they sown was sown into my heart. And God didn't call me to this house. He called me to Templo de la Cruz for a purpose. But I'm standing here as a minister. I've been a minister for 13 years now because of the seed that was sown from Victory Outreach. Thank you. Thank you for praying for the people that the seeds were sown. Thank you for evangelizing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am a result of that. My husband is a result of that. My little cousin is drug-free because of the seeds of Victory Outreach. Thank you. Thank you. If we could just bow our heads, I'd like to pray now. Father, I'm just so humbled as I stand here. I just feel your presence in such a beautiful way. And I feel such gratitude. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the seeds that were sown. Thank you for the fruit. And thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Father, that I would decrease and that you would increase. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we've prayed and fasted and as we've sought you for this moment, have your way now. I come against fear. I come against anxiety. I come against the veil over the heart. <laughs> have your way, Holy Spirit. Go beyond the veil. Go beyond the veil of our hearts tonight. I pray that the work that you have purposed to work tonight will take place in each and every heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. So tonight's theme is going beyond the veil. And when Sister Chella called me, first of all, it was, it was a beautiful shock because I, I didn't even know her. I just knew of her. And when she called me and she asked me for um, this night, I said, of course, I had to ask my pastor, and so we hung up. But immediately, the Lord gave me a word. Immediately. And I said, Lord, I hope pastor says yes, because you gave me this word, and I wrote it down so quick. If pastor doesn't say yes, then maybe this isn't of you, but I'm pretty sure that you just gave me this word, Lord. 
I'm pretty sure that it's you. And thank God pastor said yes. And, um, but originally, I was told that the theme was being radical for the cause. Something, something about radical for the cause. Radically addicted to the cause. Thank you. Radically addicted to the cause. And immediately, I thought about the Holy Spirit put in my mind the woman at the well. And so today, I'm going to talk about her. But I believe that the word that God gave me in regards to going beyond the veil, this word, it's intended on doing an inner provoking. I probably will talk at this tone. I probably won't move very much because we're going to talk about some really sensitive things. And, and Sister Erica, your message about your marriage is on point. We're going to talk about some deep things, and I, I pray that you look inside and that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Look inside of your heart. You know, because it's so easy to fix the outside. I want you to think about that. It's so easy to look good and to put on nice clothes. It's so easy to appear as though everything is good, but then the inside is a raging storm. Have you been there? The inside is a raging mess. And no one knows about it but you and God. No one knows that the smile that you have on your face is not a reflection of what's going on in your heart. That's what I need to talk about today. Um, God wants to deal with the insides of his daughters tonight, those secret places of the heart that have suffered pain. Uh, some of the daughters here tonight, God says, you're carrying hurt. And your heart is damaged. And you've been neglecting that area. But he wants to talk about it tonight. It's so easy to neglect those areas. I'm just going to say it. It's so easy to neglect those areas because we get so caught up in how we look. I don't want the pastor to know that I'm struggling. But on the inside, if people can see what's going on on the inside, if what's going on on the inside is manifested on the outside, we have an arm that's broken. We're limping. One eye is hanging down. Sometimes we come into the house of God that way, but nobody knows it because we're embarrassed, because we don't want to say, yeah, we're going through it again, because we don't want to talk about it because we don't know if we'll be judged. We don't know if we'll be accepted. We don't know if they will say, you're a leader. What's wrong with you? Get it together. Don't do that, sisters, please. Don't do that to each other. Don't do that to each other. It doesn't matter if you've stumbled 10 times, 20 times, 100 times. If your sister is struggling, please, please love her. Love her through it. Be patient and love her through it. Oh, God, don't neglect the inside. Please don't neglect the inside. So, like I said, this is the type of message that maybe won't get a lot of amens. It sounds like we are, but... It's a serious one. It's a serious one. I'm going to talk about the Samaritan woman. She met Jesus at the well. Um, it's found in John chapter 4. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to just kind of talk about it. John chapter 4, starting at verse 4. I'm going to be talking about 4, verses 4 through 24 throughout my message. This is even a little bit of a different style of preaching for me. It's more storytelling. So Jesus, 
he was traveling from Galilee, and he was going to Judea. Excuse me, he was going from Judea to Galilee. And there's two different routes that he could have taken. And he chose to take the one that went through Samaria purposefully. He went there on purpose. And there was a point where him and his disciples separated, and he found Jacob's well. It was noon, and noon is when the women generally are not there. The women generally go in the morning. Early in the morning, they go and they get their water for the day to do their chores. I mean, we're so blessed that we have running water. If I feel like doing laundry, I go to the garage. Well, they couldn't do that. They had to go and gather their water. They had to take a walk and go to the well. And the women usually did it in the beginning, early in the morning, so that they didn't have to carry the water in the hot sun, and so they could get their chores done. And so that was customary. He gets there at noon because he knew the woman would be there. Jesus knew she would be there. This was her day. This was her time. And so he engages in conversation with her by saying, can you get me a drink of water? And it was very unusual for him to do that for two reasons. First, because men didn't usually talk to women openly in public. So that was odd. The second reason is because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And there's racism going on. I'm not going to really talk about racism, but that was a really big factor. The Jews, not Jesus, but the Jews felt like the Samaritans were a little bit less because they were a mixture of two races. So there was a little bit of um, Jews feeling like they were better than the Samaritans. And naturally, what that produces in a Samaritan is, you think you're better than me? And so her response was, you, being a Jew, are asking me for water? I'm a Samaritan. Her response wasn't very well received. She didn't receive his question very well. But he asks. She was tripping, but he asks because he wants to engage her in conversation. He wants to talk. So what I want to talk about now is three things that the Holy Spirit has highlighted in the life of the Samaritan woman. There's three things that he wants me to discuss that are very relatable to us women today that he wants to deal with in our hearts. And the first thing is that this woman suffered great loss. This Samaritan woman, all we know, it goes really quick. She had five husbands and she's living with a guy now. But when we break that down and when we really look at what that means, she had five husbands which means she went through five divorces, which means she went through five losses. Because when you marry somebody, you marry a family also, and you bond, right? I, I have my husband and his siblings and my mother and father-in-law, and he has the same. You marry the family. She lost five families. Loss. What comes with that? discouragement, hurt, anger, shame, resentment, brokenness. This woman was broken. Not only did she lose five families, five husbands, her dream shattered five times, 
but she had to move at least five times. Actually, she was living with another guy, so she had to move at least six times. This woman suffered a lot of loss, a lot of devastation, a lot of uprooting. I know growing up, I moved a lot. That's why Nina found me on one side of Hayward one year and another side of Hayward another year. I moved a lot. And I'm going to tell you from my own experience, it's hard. Moving is hard when you have to get up and go, which if the marriage was broken, things had to build up to that. So there was probably a lot of anger, a lot of fights, and then the shame of get, get out, leave, because that's kind of how it went. So there was all of that, and then there was the wondering, where will I go? Who, who will take me in? And, you know, I experienced that, and so I know what it feels. There was a time, the year right before I got saved. I was 15, the year that it started, I got saved at 16, that I was kicked out of my house, and I had to live um, with friends. And that year, I think I moved 11 times in one year and house to house, and it was kind of like her where things weren't going so well, and then they'd go, hey, you got to go. So then I'd have to figure out, well, what friend will take me because I couldn't go home. It produces a lot of insecurity. This woman had a lot of insecurity from the brokenness. Not only did it produce a lot of insecurity, but shame, guilt, What's wrong with me? Feeling of being unloved, unlovable, unwanted. This woman suffered a lot of loss. Pain, discouragement. And you know, it's every woman's dream. Looking at her story, every woman has a deep need to feel secure, protected, and covered And each time she found the new husband, I wonder if she was thinking, this is going to be forever. Because we never marry thinking that the marriage is going to go bad and end in divorce. So I wonder if she was thinking after the first time, the second time, this is it. This is it, girl. Do your best. I wonder if the self-talk was, don't mess up this time. Don't get him mad. Don't do whatever it was that you did last time that made him say you got to go. A lot of pressure on her, huh? This woman had a lot to carry. Probably felt really uncovered and unprotected, to say the least. So she suffers a lot of loss. Five husbands, five homes, five families. The other thing that she lost was her dignity and her morality because now she's living with number six. She doesn't even want to marry. Now she's done with marriage. And there's a lot of people today that are done with marriage, huh? Have you heard? Have you heard them say no? I've heard. I've heard people say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that paper. I'm not doing that paper because I've seen too many divorces. Well, that's where she was at. Now, we're in a day and age where people really don't care. But back then, people cared. Back then, people cared. And so she gave up her morality. She gave up her dignity. If just he would protect me, I'm willing to live with him. Think about this. He didn't marry her, the last one that she was living with. 
Maybe it wasn't because she didn't want to. Maybe he didn't want to marry her. So more shame, more disappointment, more feelings of I'm not good enough. I'm not even good enough to marry now. I'm just going to live with the guy. But I'll take it because i got to be covered. And women couldn't work back then, so that, that, was, that was how she survived. I'm talking about the woman at the well and how she suffered a lot of loss. And when you really break it down, you can really see how there's a lot of loss there, a lot of brokenness. As a result of her losing her dignity and shame, she appears to have lost a connection with the other women. Why do I say this? Because she goes at noon. She goes at noon when most likely no one else is going to be there. And, you know, for me, that's heavy. For me, that says a lot. I'm sure she went because she wanted to avoid the negative talk, the snickers, you know, the, hmm, there's that one. There she is. You know, sometimes us women, we can be naughty like that. I'm saying it. We could be naughty like that. God, forgive us. God, you know what? God, forgive us because we could be like that here. God, forgive us. This ain't in my notes, and I like to use my notes, but God, forgive us because we could look at ladies like that. They come in our house. They come in our house, and maybe they're not dressed the way they should be dressed, or maybe they don't look the way they should look, and then we do that. Hmm. God, forgive us. That is not who we're supposed to be. That is not who we're supposed to be. And I know some of y'all have done it because we're women. And sometimes we're unsanctified women. But we got to get out of the flesh. We got to get out of the flesh and look past the hurt. And so if they would have just looked past her hurt, they would have seen, my God, she's been rejected. My God, she has a lot of hurt. My God, she needs my hug right now. We got to do that. We got to do that. We got to stop thinking that we're better. We got to stop. This lady virtually lost everything. Hit after hit. Bad choice after bad choice. Disappointment, sadness, pain. It was all part of her life story. These are all things that have the potential to produce a veil over the heart. Tonight, God says we got to go beyond the veil of the heart. We got to go beyond that protective covering that we put up. Maybe none of us here are the woman at the well. Maybe none of us here have had five divorces, but we've been through divorces. We've been through broken families. We've experienced children going through things. We've experienced addiction. We heard it, sis. We've experienced near divorces. We've experienced trouble. And when we experience it, if we're not careful, we'll put a veil over our heart to hide. I don't want them to see because I can't take the looks. I can't take them questioning my Christianity right now. I can't take them questioning if I'm a good leader or not. I can't take them questioning why am I up and down again. So the veil goes. And there's that raging war on the inside. And I look good. And I'm wearing a good dress, and my hair is done, and I got all the accessories, but I am dying on the inside, and I've put a veil over my heart to cover it from you. 
and most importantly, from him. What will he think if he really knows? We, we sometimes think that we could hide from him, from the Father. We sometimes think, I know it's true, we sometimes think we could go to prayer and we could say, oh, Lord, bless this day. Oh, Lord, bless my church, bless my family. But in our heart we're saying, but don't bless sister so-and-so because, you know, I'm sick of her. And we think that we can go before the throne. We think that we can go before the Father who has forgiven us of everything that we've ever done, past, present, and future. He's forgiven us. And we go before the Father and we say, Lord, bless me today. But we walk away going, but I can't stand that sister. And I'm going to walk down the other side of the aisle because I don't want to greet her today. Because she gets on my nerves. Because she's had five husbands. She's had a lot of issues. And why does she keep having issues? I'm so sick of her issues. We cannot go before the Father that way. We cannot go before the Father with that. Why? Because our prayers will not be heard. He will not hear us. Don't you get it? If you have unforgiveness, Jesus says, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, we all know it, hallowed be thy name. Huh? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who have a debt against me. Do you get what that says? No, I don't think you get it. Do you get what that says? Forgive me as I have forgiven her. So if I didn't forgive her today, don't forgive me today. That's what we're saying. You don't get it. Forgive me as I forgive those. So if I'm not forgiving those, then I'm not getting forgiven. And you know when Jesus says amen and wraps that prayer up, amen, you know the only thing that he highlights is because if we don't forgive those who've sinned against us, then our heavenly father will not forgive us. And this ain't even in my notes. So somebody has some unforgiveness up in here today. Somebody needs to stop holding on to a grudge today. I don't even like to yell, but I'm yelling because somebody has some unforgiveness that they need to deal with. You've been holding on to it for too long. You've been mad at that sister. You've been mad at Pastor Chella. You've been mad at Pastor Josie. You've been mad at somebody for too long. Knock it off if you want to be forgiven. I don't even like to yell. I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Just stop it. Okay, so she has a lot of loss. We also can see about this woman at the well that she has a knowledge of God. And I say this because in verse 19, for those of you who are looking, in verse 19, when Jesus spoke to her about her past, she says, oh, you must be a prophet. She says, you must be a prophet. Prophets know the things of God. And then she goes on to say later in the conversation, when he gets a little bit too close to home and he starts talking about what he knows about her, she goes, okay, well, tell me this. Where are we supposed to worship? Because the Samaritans say we're supposed to worship at Mount Gerizim, but the Jews, they say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. So where are we supposed to worship? So she knows something about God. And a third way we could tell is that she says, we know the Messiah is coming. 
So this is a woman who knows the things about God. Three very indicators, key indicators is she knows something about God. Yet, we do not see significant evidence of God in her life. We cannot see it because there's brokenness after brokenness. Isolation, she isolates herself. She's struggling. So we cannot see the fruit of God in her life. She continues to suffer through broken relationship after broken relationship. What was her perception of men at this point? I want to ask you that. What do you think? Broken relationship after broken relationship. How do you think she viewed men at that point? It's a good question. She probably didn't trust men very much. So here Jesus is, the Messiah, talking to her, and she says, you don't even have a bucket. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan, and you don't even have a bucket. So she can't even talk to him respectfully, and she's like, you want me me to give you water? You don't even have a bucket. What are you going to do with the water I give you? Where are you going to take? You want my bucket? How do you think she looked at men? How about her trust level? She probably didn't have very much trust for men. What do you think she thought about herself? She probably didn't view herself very well. What about how she viewed a God who loves her and accepts her at face value? That's the most important question. I wonder how she was able to accept that. This woman who has a knowledge of God, who knows about a Messiah coming, who knows about one place to worship versus another place to worship, this woman chooses substandard living conditions. And sometimes so do we. We know God. We know about worshiping God. We know the Messiah is coming, but we choose to live in substandard conditions. What does that look like for her, substandard conditions? Well, she goes to the well at noon, like I said earlier, hottest time of the day. Hottest time of the day because she wants to avoid female interaction. And I want to I say right there that that's a red flag. If you're, sisters, if you're avoiding female interaction, something inside is broken. If you struggle to interact with other sisters because you think they're too much drama or you think that they gossip too much, or you think that they just want to know your business, or you think that they're too moody, something isn't right inside. I got to tell you that today, that that's a red flag because women need women. We need each other. We need each other. You know, I was thinking about the five women that I brought. Sister Patty, Sister Patty is my spiritual mom. And there's times that I go to Sister Patty because I need a mom hug because my mom passed away. And there's times that I go to Sister Patty because I need a spanking. But Sister Renee, who's my bestie, she's also a mom to me. She mothers me all the time, but she gives me good food. And she gives me wonderful gifts. And she prays for me like never before. And then there's my other bestie, Lisa. And I'm doing this for a reason. Women need women. And Lisa, we talk about the business. We talk about stuff. How, we talk about what I can't talk about with everybody because she's outside of the house. So she won't get, you know, she won't get contaminated and ruffled. She will have a good perspective. We also challenge each other with school. I need Lisa. 
Then there's Chantel, who's my other friend. And our relationship is that we simply pray for each other. She gives me words and I give her words. I can call her for prayer anytime. And then there's Rena. Rena is the godmother to one of my sons. And she's my friend and we're family. Why do I say that? Because we need women. And, and this woman was avoiding women. But we need each other to process our problems. We need each other to cry on each other's shoulders. I need these women. I have five women here. These are the five closest women to me because they each have something that I need. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, but I'm not Jesus. I am not perfect. Neither are you. We need women. We need each other. We need each other. I can't emphasize that enough. If you are avoiding women, something is broken. Something has been hurt. You need forgiveness in this area. You need to forgive whoever it was that told your business. You need to know that not everybody out there is a gossiper. You need to know that you need your sisters. You know, I said this to, to the wonderful team when we were uh, planning. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I don't confess my sins to them because they could forgive me of my sins. I confess my sins to these five girls because they can pray for me. And when I get it off my chest, and you know, I remember, Sister Patty, I don't even know why I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it. It has, no, it's good, really, it's good. There was a time in my walk, I had been saved for many years, but there was a skeleton in my closet that nobody knew about. Something that happened to me and something that I did as a result of it that nobody ever knew. And if you're from our house, you know Sister Patty is a prophet, and she'll call your business out in love at the altar and pray for you. And so there was a time that I was so scared, Jesus, I ain't going to that altar because I don't want Sister Patty, I don't want Sister Patty to talk about that. So this is what I did because women need each other. I said, Sister Patty, I need to meet with you. I went straight to the prophet. I need to meet with you, Sister Patty, because I got I know the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I know that I'm forgiven, but I'm tormented by this, and I'm scared that if I don't get it out, it's going to be exposed, and I don't know what I'll do. I'll just die. So I sat there like this. And you know how the visions go in your head when you imagine it first, and I thought, oh, my God, Sister Patty's going to fall off the chair when I tell her. Sister Patty's going to speak in tongues and lay hands on me. Something is going to happen, but God, I got to get through this because I can't let this torment me anymore. I got to break free from this, God. And I sat there and I said, Sister Patty, I got to tell you this. And I told her, and guess what Sister Patty did? She goes, you know, sis, when I was growing up, you know what happened to me? And she shared a like story. And she shared how she got over it. Now, I knew the blood of Jesus cleansed me and forgiven me. I knew I was forgiven, but the enemy was using it to torment me. And it wasn't something that I could go tell my pastor. It wasn't something that I should find a brother and tell a brother. I needed my sister. I needed a lady. I needed a woman of God. And so I'm going to say it again. 
And I pray that you hear it. Dear Jesus, let us hear it. We need women. Women, we need each other. We need to get along with each other. We need to support one another. We need to uplift and encourage one another. We need to look past each other's faults. We need to make allowance for one another's faults. And we need to bond and embrace. I need you. And I know you need me too. This woman avoided the sisters. She wasn't getting that connection that she needed. Who was listening to her? Who was listening to her? Probably nobody. And so have you ever been in that place where it piles on, struggle after struggle, disappointment after disappointment, heartache after heartache, problem after problem, the devil's hitting you left, the devil's hitting you right. Have you ever been there and not had anybody to talk to about it? Oh my, you know what happens? It gets so much bigger. It gets so much bigger. And it begins to weigh you down. And then you start thinking because the devil is saying this to you, don't tell Jesus. He's not going to forgive you. You should know better. You're a Christian. You're a leader. Don't tell him. He hasn't been listening anyway. Look how long this has been going on. Hmm. So if we don't have a sister to go, sis, I've been feeling this. And they go, it's okay. It's okay. I, I went through that too. And if you persevere, once you get over this hump, then right down that street, that's where the victory is. That's what we need each other for. Or if the sister doesn't have the answer, this is what she could do. Here, sis, put your arm around me. Here, sis, let me carry you right now. Because I could see that one arm is twisted and one leg is all cracked. I could see that. So here, let me help you. Let me help you run this race. Let's run it together, sis. I got your back, sis. Yeah. Amen. I told you Sister Patty's loud, guys. That's why I love her. That's why I love her and I'm going to be like her someday. So this woman suffered great loss. And we also know that her knowledge of God up to this point in her life really wasn't a transforming knowledge. There really wasn't much change up to this point. And then came Jesus. And then came Jesus. And her encounter with him, her encounter with Jesus made her radical. That's where the theme kicks in. So like I said, John 4 is where I'm spe uh, speaking from. Please read the full context when you get a moment. After their discussion um, about her getting him a drink, he tells her, don't you know that I'm capable of giving you living water so that you will never thirst again? Don't you know that if you just ask, what I have for you will be a perpetual spring springing up over and over? Don't you know? So she says, I want what you have. I want that. Come here, my friend. I want that. I want that. Go get your husband. What does she say? I have no husband. 
You're right. Okay. Think of that encounter. I really feel like the Holy Spirit showed me something. She said, I want what you have. I want that. And he goes straight to the area of her shame, straight to the area of the veil, that place that she was hiding that she didn't want anybody to see, not even her women friends. She didn't want nobody to see. He went straight there. Go get your husband. And when she looked him in the eyes and she said, I don't have one, that was her confession. That was her being honest with her Lord. That was her encounter. It was that face-to-face. It was looking in the eyes of love. It was looking in the eyes of the only one who can love her unconditionally and not hiding and not saying, oh, he's busy, he's at work, but saying, I don't have one. That was her confession that she needed. I don't have one. Look, look in here. Go here. She knew he was a prophet. Go here. That's the place, that moment, that face-to-face exchange. His question, her reply. Here is where the breakthrough moment came for this woman at the well. Here is where that transformation came. Here is where she was released to become radical. It's here. It's when we look in the eyes of the Father, when we expose our most embarrassing when we expose our most painful, when we expose the thing that is the most discouraging, when we don't try to hide it, when we don't try to veil, put a veil over it, when we don't try to dismiss it, when we don't try to stuff it, when we don't try to pretend it's someone else's fault, but when we look in the eyes of love and say, I don't have a husband, when we look in the eyes of love and say, I'm hurt by her, she hurt me, and it makes me mad. When we look in the eyes of love and say, my husband hurt me, and I don't want to submit to him. My husband hurt me. How can I trust him? It's when we look face to face. It's when we have that exchange. It's when we're the most honest and the most vulnerable. That's when we're released to become radical. That's when we're released to become radical. When the veil of our heart is torn. When we no longer put a veil over our heart before the Father. That's where the release comes. Once she says she wants what he has, Jesus speaks directly to that source. And then she looks in the face and encounters his love and his grace and his mercy. And she is changed. It wasn't anything loud or radical. We don't read anything loud or radical that happened. She said, I don't have one. And he said, you're right. You're right. And I know you're living with somebody now. She didn't deny it. She was changed. The encounter happens and she walks away a different person. And she's now a person. She's now somebody who's ready to face anyone. How do I know? Because she goes straight to her city people she was avoiding. She went at noon when no one else was there. She had that encounter. She acknowledged. She said, yes, it's true. She showed him the most vulnerable, the most shameful place. Yes, it's true. And he loved her and he accepted her. This is a woman who wasn't loved and accepted by men very much, huh? And he loved her and he accepted her and it broke. And that bondage broke. 
and some of us need a bondage to break. And we don't need somebody to get all loud. We just need to say, yes, Lord, have that. Yes, Lord, carrying this, and it'll break. Some of us, we just need to say, it's true, Lord. It's true. I've been hurt, and I've been carrying this for a long time. So she goes to the people of her city, and she tells them her testimony. She shares her personal encounter with him. She becomes radical for the cause. And many came to Jesus because of her testimony. I want to shift gears and I want to talk about women for a minute. She went because she wanted to. She went because she had a wonderful encounter. She went out of love. But you know, sometimes as women... We often find ourselves doing things simply because they need to get done. Regardless of how we feel on the inside, I want you to hear me. This is so important. Regardless of what's going on on the inside, regardless of the pain, regardless of the hurt, regardless of the bitterness, regardless of the family struggles, regardless of whether we've been in prayer and in the word, regardless if we've even been connected with the Father, we work because we see work needs to be done. And then it becomes a burden, and then it becomes discouraging, and then it becomes something that's overwhelming, and then we get tired, and then we get embittered with the church, and then we say, why are they working me so much? Well, it's because you started working so much. It's because you didn't say no. You didn't say, wait, I need to take a Jesus break. You didn't say, wait, I need some healing. Wait, my family's going through it. Sister Chella, could you stop and pray for me? No, we work when we see things need to be done. Sometimes that's just how we are. We are hard workers. There are some hard workers in here. I know that because the seed was sown to me so many times. You all are out there. You all are working the fields. But I want to say, if you need to stop and take a break, please connect with the Father before you go back out there. Before you work, you need to get work done. Before you give out because you see that they have a need, Make sure you take in first. Make sure you drink in first. Make sure that you've connected with the Father first. If you don't, the work's still going to get done. Maybe, maybe nobody will even notice for a long time that you've been working on empty. And the church will run beautifully, and nobody will notice that you've been working on empty until what? I'm just going to say it, until you're ready to walk away, until you're ready to say, I'm done with this church, I'm done with these people, I'm done with this, because you've carried so many offenses, you've carried so much unforgiveness, you didn't want to deal with it, and then it breaks you, because you didn't want to talk to anybody. Please don't do that. Please do not do that. God wants us to function out of abundance and joy, not obligation. God wants us to work out of the abundance of joy, out of the abundance of the healing, out of the abundance of the fruit that he's put in our lives. Things will get done, whether we work in abundance or obligation. Things will get done. Lives will be touched and lives will be healed. But you know what? The results and the fruit will be very different. Listen to this. She worked out of what Jesus did for her. She went one time. She worked that field one time. One time, and that city came. One time, because it was out of that encounter. She had an encounter, and she had to go work the field one time. 
So sometimes we wonder, why am I struggling with this? Why do I keep struggling with this? Why won't this happen? Why won't this prayer? Why won't this? Why won't that? Have the encounter. Have the encounter, and you will see that the fruit is different. You will see that the results are so much more fruitful if you have the encounter. The word that I believe that the Father is saying to all the churches today, too many of us are ministering from a place of brokenness, and it's limiting our effectiveness. It's limiting us because we can't get past how we were treated in the past. We can't get past it. We can't get past the labels that are placed upon us so we're not walking in our full potential. Somebody said you can't do it, so you believed it, and so you don't do it. Can you imagine how the Samaritan woman would have spoke to her townspeople if Jesus hadn't directly spoke to that one area that she was most ashamed about? If Jesus didn't deal with that one part, how do you think her conversation would be? How do you think her face would have been? How do you think her body language would have been? Do you think it would have been one of love and grace and mercy or still the attitude, where's your bucket? You want water, where's your bucket? Sometimes we try to minister to people like that. You need Jesus. You need to stop cussing. Mm -mm. Uh Uh-uh. We cannot minister from that place effectively. We cannot minister from that place effectively. We can think we're ministering because we're telling somebody, you need Jesus. You need to get saved. Mm -mm. We're not ministering effectively like that. What do you think it would have looked like if she would have been operating through a heart that was still filled with loss, rejection, and pain? What do you think? I think that there would have been very little fruit, to say the least. And so I want to end with this. We're contending for revival. Not just Victory Outreach, but Temple de la Cruz and a lot of churches in the city of Hayward. We're contending for revival. We want revival. Who in here wants revival? I want revival. I need revival. We need revival if we want to see our city saved. But I really feel like the Father is saying this. He will not give us the city if we destroy it when they come in our house. He will not give us the city if we jack them up when they get in here by our attitudes by our unforgiveness, by our baggage and our brokenness that we're not letting go of. He will not give us the city if we cannot deal with them. If we do not know how to love people past their hurts, if we do not know how to love somebody who's had five husbands and is living with the sixth one, if we do not know how to love them with his love, he's not going to give us the city because he's not going to bring anybody into his house for his house to damage them. So we got to get this right. We got to get this right. We got to let go of our hurt. We got to let go of our pain. We got to let go of that brokenness, that mistrust that we have. We got to let go of those things that we're still holding on to, that we're trying to carry around, and we're trying to drag it around, and we're trying to say, hey, Jesus saves. Hey, Jesus heals, but we're not letting him heal us. We got to get it right. We got to get it right. Too many of us are carrying this. Too many of us. Those things that interfere with what God's doing, we got to let them go. The church has to be healed. The church has to be a living example of God's love, his power, and his mercy if we want to walk in revival. If we want to walk in revival. I have a little skip, but I want to say something. I really feel like I need to say it, and then you can go, okay? You know, I'm talking about inner healing. I really feel like that's the word that God gave 
And I know a lot of you are leaders and great women of God. I know that. And some of you might be saying, I've been saved for so long. You know, why would you say that I still need healing? Why would you, why would you even say that I have baggage? And I want to share something that happened to me. In 2013, which was just a year ago, I had been saved for 25 years. I had been a minister for 12 years. I, I work hard in the church. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a good Christian. But something happened in me. It was during a worship service. We were worshiping, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of holding on? Let it go. And it was, it was really weird. I'm not even kidding. When I heard, aren't you tired, like I felt like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. But I wasn't tired before that. But I heard it so loud and clear. Aren't you tired? Let it go. Let it go. And then some memories came back. Some memories of when I slept under the bed when I was eight years old for about a year because we were afraid because some things were going on in our house. And these memories came, and then my body started trembling like this, and I felt overwhelming anxiety. I want to pause my story and say, sis, you said you don't like to come up here. You feel afraid. And fear always has gripped me as well. And I've, I've known from the very beginning that God called me to preach, but I also knew that I carried a lot of fear. So God's saying, aren't you tired? Let it go. Then the root the source of where fear came for me, I got the memories. I, I went to the restroom because I got in, like an anxiety attack and my body is trembling. And I'm like, get it together, girl, what is going on? <sighs> and I took a deep breath and I walked out. Now it's during worship. People are worshiping, but Pastor John gets on the pulpit and Pastor John says, God wants to deliver somebody of fear and anxiety right now. Come up here right now. And people start going up. And Rena was in the back row. And I go, Rena, go up with me. All of these memories started flooding back. Why am I sharing that? Because God took me on a journey of inner healing for fear. He took me to the source. What I didn't realize is that all those years ago when I was eight years old and that spirit of fear started to attack me, it was interfering with the ministry that God called me to today. It was interfering with what God wanted me to do today. I couldn't get past fear. I couldn't get past the looks. I couldn't get past it. And my family, they know that. They know that. And it was only when I walked through the journey of inner healing, it, was, it started with those memories of fear. Then he took me to when my dad left. How rejected I felt when my mom and dad divorced and my dad never came back. And my mom said, your father left because he never loved us. And he never came back, and so it kind of solidified that. And then it took me to the times where, you know, different things, and I went on this. But, you know, the Lord is so good because throughout the whole journey, he was giving me scripture. He was giving me the word, be not, do not be afraid, for I go before you and behind you. I will neither fail you nor forsake you. And I held on to that scripture as he took me through. Now, someone might say, because I've heard it, it's under the blood. Why do I need to go through that? Why do I need to redig up that stuff? Well, the Lord wants to redig up that stuff because it's hindering us. It's, it's bad foundation. It's corrupted foundation. 
And so I couldn't figure out why I'd have to get 10,000 people to pray for me before I had to stand on a pulpit. Why do I still have this fear? Because it was that root. Why do I still struggle with this? It's because of that root. Why do I still struggle with rejection and abandonment? It's because of that root. And so when he dug up those roots, I'm telling you there was victory. I'm telling you there was victory. And so that happened to me, and I was like a lone wolf, and, and no one was going through it. And I thought, man, I must be crazy. God, you know, thank God for my sisters who told me I wasn't crazy. But guess what? That was just the beginning. Then God took our church on a journey of inner healing. And our pastor, who's such a strong man of God, all of a sudden now he's crying over some things his mom said to him when he was five, when he was three. Not because I told him, because when I was telling him about inner healing, he was like, okay, all right. You know, he couldn't get it because we feel like, I'm just going to say it, we feel like, well, I'm saved. It's under the blood. Why do I got to go back and revisit that? Sometimes we got to go back and revisit it because it's messing with our foundation. And so I knew I wasn't crazy when I seen my pastor, when I seen the other ministers go through it, when I seen the other women of God go through it. Now we're in this journey of inner healing, and I believe that God is saying, if you want me to bring in my people, you got you to gotta deal with some stuff. You got to unpack some bags that you've been carrying around. You got to unpack some things and let and and let me love you. Let me love you. Okay, with that I'm going to say go ahead Chantel.
Hallelujah. Chantel, I would like you to come in to give a quick, like, real detailed, like, exactly, so nothing is missed, like what you just did. as women um, in ministry, as Pastor Sherry was saying, it's so, it's so easy to just keep going. And, you know, there's a desire in our heart to be faithful, right? And we want to please God, and, and, and we don't want to drop the ball. And um, so many times, um, it, you know, this is really representation of what's in my heart, what I'm carrying inside. You know, it's true. Even being leaders, we come to church on Sundays and... Um, not always pretty what we're carrying inside you know and sometimes it's a lot deeper than we can see and so um, what you just saw was just sometimes we try to love people from a surface level we try to tell people about the love of God with just a dead letter of the word because it hasn't hit the, the depth of my heart the spirit of God hasn't reached down and touched the deepest part of my pain because either I don't know it's there because I'm moving too fast and I'm too busy all the time, or every time he knocks on the door, I hide because that's just a little bit too scary and I don't think I'm ready to go behind that door. I don't think I'm ready to face that thing yet, God. Haven't I already faced it? Haven't you already dealt with it? It's been seven years and still we got to revisit this. I already forgave that. And he says, no, but there's more under it and I need to set you all the way free. And so I just, I'll leave you with something that the Lord showed me in, in my journey of um, healing was, you know, it felt like such a deep, dark period of time. And um, God just told me this. He said, the darkness that I am leading you into is not the same darkness that I brought you out from. And so I just pray that you'll remember that and that you'll know to trust him. He's trustworthy and he knows. He knows that the minute that Satan hit you right square in the heart, he knows what roots were formed and what attached to what. And if you allow him, we can go years without, you know, everything gets so complicated. And I, I remember one time she was struggling with something, and I said, you know, I just feel like the Lord has given me this vision that from you, from your perspective, it's just like this tangled mess of, like, how do I even, where do I start? But God says, with one word, I can go straight to the root of that thing, and it's done. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Elizabeth, will you please come up?